0: or look like to be united to someone? What does it look like or mean to be united to someone? This is the first of your talking points question. That's on the back of the insert that's in your bulletin. So we have these uh, training truth sheets to help you write down some things that the Spirit maybe reveals to you out of the Word so you can remember them for, for later discussion as a family or as couples or just in your own conversation with the Lord. But the first talking points on the back, it says, what does it look like to be united to someone? So I'm asking, what are some... Characteristics. A marriage is a great, probably the best earthly example of that is a marriage. Good. So, love, characteristics of a marriage, even, but other relationships, united relationships, love, friendship. forgiveness. I heard somebody say, friendship. Friendship. friendship, understanding, trust, sharing the same goal. I mean, you think about it, like a marriage is probably the best example of it because it does have that idea that Taylor was just saying, this idea of sharing the same goal. It's having the same, like if you're really united with someone, you, you have maybe have the same likes, you have the same preferences, you have the same desires, you're interested in the same things. But, but it's also more than that. Like biblically being united is even more than that. It is sharing the same goal, having the same destination. Like, working towards the same end. Like, if you want to see a really successful marriage, that's what will describe that marriage. It's not just the feelings of being united, but it's actually the mission of being united. That when you're in step together, you are really united. And Paul tells us in Galatians, one of your readings this week is, so stay in step with the Holy Spirit. So here's my question for us is, does that describe our relationship with Jesus? Like, does, does, does all those descriptors, does that really describe our relationship with Christ? Are we working towards the same goal? Are we on the same path? Are we on the same mission? Because he had a mission. He's on it. And he's invited us into it. And for us to be united with him. Guys, Listen. For us to be united with Christ, we have to be on his mission. To say that you're united to your spouse, if you're married, but have completely different end game goals in life, is you cannot, those, those are non-secriculars. They do not work. They will not ever touch. You will grow this way instead of this way. And the same is true for our relationship with Jesus. So today what we're talking about is, are you united with Christ? And the question I'm asking is, what does that look like? Like, what does it really look like to be genuinely, truly united with Jesus? And we're going to pick it up where we left off last week in um, Romans chapter 6. So you can turn there if you're not there already. And this last week's message and this week's message are going to sound fairly similar. I could have done them all as one message because um, it's all kind of one thought. But the the point Paul is making in chapter 6, verses 1 through 11 is so important, I felt like we needed to really like ruminate in it for a couple of weeks. And the reason is because this idea of being, I think, I I mean, if, if you are born again, if the Holy Spirit has regenerated you, you have a desire to be genuinely, consistently in step with the Holy Spirit. And yet sometimes we just trip and stumble. In fact, a lot of time we trip and stumble. And so what we're trying to figure out is, okay, how do I stop stumbling, right? And I wanted to spend not just one week talking about what, I think what Paul is telling us in Romans 6 is the big stumbling block we have. And it's this idea that we don't really, we can't really walk united with Christ because we don't really understand what it looks like to live alive. So how do we get there? Well, what the passage is going to show us is that when we are united with Christ, one, it is a forever thing. It's a, It's a done deal. And we talk about that eternal perspective a lot here. But it also is because what we, if, that what we have to understand is like, that we are, our old self is actually dead. Like that we've actually died to sin. And that old part of us is dead. Present tense. Yeah, but I still struggle with sin. Yeah, And we talk about that. We pray that during our prayer time, confessing sins to one another. Guys, it doesn't mean we don't sin. It just means we understand it has been dealt with. Then we will actually live our new life like a live person. And that's what Paul's going to show us today. So, so what we're going to see today is, is just a carryover of last week. But guys, I genuinely believe this is the stumbling block for all of us. We don't really believe that we're really alive. We don't. We, I mean, we, we say we do intellectually, but it hasn't really transformed like our soul. We think we're sort of alive and we're sort of dead and we're somehow we're living in this in-between time. And what Paul is trying to tell us, not just here, but throughout his writing, and Peter does as well, and Jesus taught it too, is you have completely been transferred. We, we just don't know it Yet because we're still here. But in God's eyes, we have been completely made alive. And that's how we live unified. So we're going to pick it up in our first point, asking the question, what does it mean to live unified with Christ? One, it's a forever thing. So just look at verse five. He says, for if we have been united with him in death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. Paul's saying, guys, if the cross happened then uh, and his resurrection is true then our resurrection is coming and paul talks about that over and over and over again in his writings one of my favorite passages i'm not going to have you turn there philippians chapter 3 where paul's talking about how he considers everything as garbage i think it was last week or the week before i mentioned that here's paul like he was the pharisee of pharisees he was on the upward trajectory of jewish life he it just didn't get he was the bill gates of judaism and he gave it all up to, to follow Christ. And it was not an easy life. Now, why did he do that? Well, he tells us in verse 10, he tells us in Philippians um, 3.10, sorry, I'm, I lost my place. He tells us in Philippians 3.10 um, that, that he might, like that, that the reason he did it, the reason he gave up everything, the reason he was willing, is because he was gonna press forward to the resurrection of Jesus Christ, he was going to consider the loss of all things as gain. Why? So that he could see the surpassing value of, the, of of being resurrected, like Christ was resurrected, right? That's not just in Philippians. That is all over Paul's writing, right? That that God has the long view of your life. Is what the New Testament talks about. And and what we do now affects what we're going to be doing in all of eternity. What made Paul so amazing was he just didn't he just lived like he really believed it. He just lived like if I since Jesus died and rose again, and I believe he died for me and he rose again, then I believe that's what's gonna happen to me. And and he just lived like he believed it. Turn to um to the right of where we are in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. So you're going to go past the rest of Romans, past 1 Corinthians, go to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. And I just want to read to you, somebody prayed a part of this passage um, during our prayer time today, but I just want to read to you, this is how Paul describes, so he is. So in, in the first part of chapter 4 of 2 Corinthians, Paul is talking about, The gospel. And how the gospel, the light of the gospel has invaded his life. And then he says this in verse 7. So 2 Corinthians 4, 7. But we have this treasure in jars of clay. The treasure is the gospel message. The light of the gospel. That we have been changed and had that gospel message implanted in us. He says we have this treasure in jars of clay. He's saying these frail, cracked human bodies. To show that the surpassing power of belongs to God and not to us. He's saying that that part of why we still struggle is because it gives opportunity for the gospel to be made clear that it's all of God. That you're not living better, you're not living more Christ-like because of you, but because of Christ. And then he says, we are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always carrying the body of death, of the death of Jesus, listen to that, Oh, he's saying, I am always acutely aware of the fact that Christ died. And, that, and, that, and, and, and when he says that, he means, and what that accomplished. I'm always acutely aware of the cross. Why? So that the life of Jesus may also be made manifest in me. And then he goes on, last verse, verse 11. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake. So that the life of Jesus also may may be manifested in our mortal flesh. Guys, do you see like this idea of of I am going to live my life now for the forever promise of the resurrection and the way I'm going to do that is the way Jesus did it. And it is by dying to self. It is giving my life away. Now, now, we might look at, like, and, and if you know anything about Paul's life, and in this letter he goes on to talk about all the things that happened to him, we might go, yeah, but that's not my reality. Like, I, I'm not going to get shipwrecked. I'm not, gonna, I'm not even going to go move to Mexico. This is not where God has me. It's not what God's called you to. That's okay. But, guys, it doesn't mean that we shouldn't be giving our lives away. Like, So, so it doesn't have to be some big thing. How about just serving the church, the body of Christ? Right? I mean, today is Mother's Day. I get it. We're all going to want to run off and do things and celebrate in our, with our moms, and et cetera. But guys, the bathrooms still have to be clean. The garbage still has to be taken out. The floors still have to be have to be swept. Like some, like jump in and help, whether it's today or regularly or like. There's all kinds of opportunities to give your life away, not just here on Sundays, but throughout the week. So, so even in little things, maybe even just letting somebody go ahead of you in line at the Walmart. Like, is that something that you can just kind of go, yeah, sure, I'm not in that big a hurry. I've got all of eternity, right? Like, like, I can handle waiting an extra five minutes. Maybe it's just being extra polite to somebody who doesn't deserve your politeness because they maybe haven't treated you well, but you're like, yeah, but I haven't treated Christ well and he's polite to me. There's lots of ways that we can give our lives away. In fact, that's the second talking points question. So look at your, the back of your sheet for your talking points question, guys, Christians are supposed to be known for three things. As Christians, these here are the three things we are supposed to be known for before we get to the talking points. One, obviously loving Jesus and his kingdom. That's first. Two, loving people. Specifically one another in the church, but loving the world as well. By this they will know that you are my disciples, by your love for one another. So we're supposed to, we're known for three things. One, love Christ. Two, love people. The second thing is die. Ouch die, die, Die. just die, like die. But what is that death? What is that? It's death to self, right? The thing that is distinctly different about the call of Christ, the real gospel, it it is a call to die. That's what Paul means when he says, I consider it all garbage that I might gain Christ. He's saying, I am going to die to all of these things that I want. I want to go do this. I want to spend my time that way. I want, I want, I want, I want, I want, so that I can gain Christ, because that was the model Christ gave us. Guys, did Christ only die to self on the cross? His whole earthly existence was death to self. And we're supposed to be little Christ's. I understand that that isn't a popular part of the gospel message. Hey, come to Christ and die. Right? But that is the, that is the gospel message. Death to life. And here's how it relates to today's message. Unless we get the dead part, we don't, understand, we don't get the life part. We want to live in the life and the power of the light and the life that Christ gives us. We want best life now, but we don't get there without dying. It just, not the way, not, not really. We can fake it, and that faking is going to become a reality. Like, like It's going to become really clear who's really been faking it the minute they die, like physically die. And so we don't want to be people that are faking it and just putting our best face on. We want to be people that are actually out of an overflow of love. Love for Christ and his kingdom, love for people, and then a love for the lifestyle he's called us to, to just be willing to die. So, the second talking points question says this. What does it look like to be united to Christ in a death like his? So just quickly, what are some answers? What does it look like to be... So I'm looking at the the first half of the talking points question. Of the second question. To suffer as he suffered. To To serve... Serve even when you're tired. tired. To To love as he loved. Because, again, we don't always, it doesn't always have to be some big thing. I, I, I feel like you know we're, we're kind of a go-big-or-go-home culture right in America. And so I, I feel like it's, it's, it's in the... I was reminded of this quote earlier in the week. It's a quote that Charles Swindoll used about the life of David. And he says, It's in the little things in the lowly places that David proved himself worthy of the big things. If you want to be a man or a woman that God uses to and I'm quoting Swindoll again, king it to do great things for the kingdom. Be someone who learns to do the little things well. Right, that, we, we don't like that very much. What's that? Wash feet. Wash feet. Like we don't like, yeah, we don't like that. Like, we, 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 we're more project-oriented. I'm like, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put all my eggs, all my serving eggs into this basket, and I'm good to go, and, and now I can check that off, and I can just keep going with my life. That's not the daily dying to self that cultivates a Christ-likeness in us. And that's the point. The point isn't just to suffer. The point is that is, is what we... What, 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 How the Holy Spirit orchestrated the prayer time. In our suffering, He is conforming us into the image of Christ. So to to pray that we don't suffer is to actually pray, Lord, don't turn me into the image of Jesus, because He suffered. So why shouldn't we? So that leads us to the second part of the question is, so what does it look like when we are resurrected like him? And I'm just gonna sort of give you the answer that I'm looking for here because I'm, I'm talking like in the there and then. In our um, training center program, this, the, the, praise the Lord for these people that have faithfully gone through, I think it's been 14 weeks stretched out over about 18 weeks of time. Uh, we're finishing up this Tuesday on, on the second part of eschatology. But one of the things we talked about, that's when Christ comes again. One of the things we talked about was, and our resurrection, like what are our resurrection bodies gonna be like? And you get a glimpse of it like with Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration when he's glowing and they're all like, wow, what in the world happened there? Because we get like that, like I don't, we don't really know exactly what we're gonna be like, but part of our struggle in pressing forward to the life part of our walk is that, especially in the eternal sense, is that we have some idea that eternity is either going to be just some completely surreal like, thing where we're all just sort of like spirit clouds and we're just sort of hanging out, worshiping all the time. And, and frankly, that almost sounds boring. Like casting our crowns before the throne for all of eternity, singing hallelujahs, you know, glory to the Lamb. Right? It's, as much as like, we enjoy that in these moments, when you start thinking about, Am I gonna, and I'm going to do that like literally forever? Like that, I mean, I'll be honest. Maybe it's just me, but that just sounds boring. Like, I mean, I, 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 and maybe that sounds sacrilegious to you. Obviously, worshiping Christ is a wonderful thing, but f- like, literally for eternity, if that's all it was, that's not what it is. Yeah, it's like Groundhog Day over and over. No, it's not like that. That's not it. Right? Like, like when all the new heaven and the new earth, what our, what our lives are going to be like when we're resurrected like Him, everything is going to be made new. And if you're in Christ, your new body, whatever that looks like, is going to be doing new stuff. Like, for all of eternity. And here's the part we got to remember. What you do here and now absolutely impacts what you will look like and what you will be doing there and then. It is a clear, it, how that all works and why we'll even care in heaven, I don't know. But it is clear that that's true. This is all like a dress rehearsal that is preparing us for the real show. And we need to live that way, right? Instead of just making it all about the here and the now, right? So with that, let's go back to our, I don't know, I think I left you in Second Corinthians. let let's go back to Romans Chapter six, and let's look at our second thing. So we're asking the question: What does it mean to be united to Christ? One, we have to recognize that it's for everything. The second thing is we have to believe that our old self is dead, and this goes along really um, closely with what we talked about last week. It's uh, look at verses six and seven. We know that our old self was crucified with Him in order that the body of sin might be put to nothing, so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. Guys, what are the evidences of your life that verse six is true? Like, I'm I'm not asking for. I'm just. I'm asking you to ask yourself that question. The old self has. If the old self has been crucified, and we and we know that. If we know that. If we believe that, and it has been brought to nothing, we are no longer slaves to sin. What, guys? Sometimes we have this idea. I think, and this is what I talked a little bit about last week, we're no longer slaves to sin. That what, When I say, what's your evidence? You would say, well, I just don't sin. I, I, I'm more moral. I'm, I live better. I don't do those things. Like, we immediately default to moral behavior, which isn't, I mean, Jesus cares about that. Jesus cares that we live in a way that honors him. But, but to really die, to know that you're, you're, the evidence of your dead flesh is in that moment when your flesh is trying to come up, where do you go to get victory? In your willpower, do you just try to crucify your flesh, or do you cry out to Christ and say, Lord, save me? Paul says it in Galatians 2, 20 and 21. I don't nullify the grace of God. Like, I have been crucified with Christ, he says. I, he said, I have been made dead with Christ, and I don't even live anymore, but Christ lives in me. And then he's like, if, and if, I try to, if I try to win victory over my flesh and my strength, I am nullifying the grace of God. I am saying that Christ died on the cross for nothing. And he's like, I do not want to say that. I, I would not say that. Turn just a page to Romans. But here's what Paul does say. Because I don't want to leave you yet. because I know there's sort of this, well, yeah, but Doug, we do still sin. We still struggle with sin. Well, you're in good company, so does Paul. Look at Romans 7, verse 18. For I know, this is Paul talking. The guy that just read, if, or that just wrote, if, if we believe that we're dead, that your sins are, then your sins are dead. And then the very next chapter he's writing, for I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. He's like, I want to do good. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want to do, I keep doing. This is Paul I, get, I take such great comfort in this, actually, that he struggled. I mean, we all struggle. Now, if I do what I, if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who does it, but the sin that dwells in me. So I find to be the law. So I find it to be the law, when I want. When, I'm sorry. When I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being. He's like I. I so. I love the word of God. I want to follow the word of God. I want to honor the word of God. But I see in my members another law waging war against that law of my my mind, making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. And then he gets to the very end of this whole thing and he's just like, oh, wretched man that I am. He's like, man, I'm so tired of this fight. Who will save me from this body of sin and death? And then he answers his own question Thanks be to God, for to Jesus Christ our Lord, so then I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. Guys, understand, this is not, like this whole argument of dying to self is not theory or theology to Paul. Like, he really struggled with it. So go back to chapter 6 and look at verse 7. He says, For the one who has died has been set free from sin. So he's saying, guys, the one who understands that he has been really dead, he's been made dead by the cross, not by his own strength, but by what Christ has done, has been freed. Now here's what's interesting. That phrase, freed from sin, guess what that word really is? Dikayo. Do you remember what that word means? Justified. He's saying, for those who have been freed from sin have been made right by God. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's the, it's the same. He's in Romans 3. If you turn back to Romans 3, where we, where we were a few weeks ago, he uses that word decaio over and over and over again to say, guys, it is. Starting in verse twenty of chapter three, yeah, chapter three he says, "For by the works of the law, no man may be declared; no man may be justified." He's saying you can't just work your way to being made right with God. And then he goes on in verses twenty-three and twenty-four: "For there is, um, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God." And then in verse twenty-four, he says, "But you are justified; you are declared; you are made right by His grace as a gift." That's what looking, being set free looks like. So look at your last talking points question. He says, it says, what does it mean to be set free from sin? Like, what does it really mean to to live like you know that you know that you know that you have been decai that you have been justified? Because here's the thing, when he says back in verse 7, and you have been set free, you have been decayed." It is in the perfect tense, it is in the passive voice, and it's in the indicative mood. Here's what that means. Perfect tense. It means it has been done, cannot be undone, will never be undone. Perfect. Once for all time. Passive voice. It means you did nothing. It means you were made right, completely apart from you. And then it's in the indicative mood, which means, an indicative mood is like the word, it indicates what you are, not what you do. He's not saying work to set yourself free. He's not even saying partner with God to get victory over sin. He's saying you have been set free. You are sinless. And then we stop and go, yeah, but I know me. Well, we'll get there in just a minute. But guys, understand, like, like just hang there for a minute. Like let your let your mind and your 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 soul actually just hang in this idea of he has perfect, passive, indicative. It's not a command for you to do, it is a condition that you already are in Christ. He is not saying stop sinning. He's saying guys, just embrace the reality of the gospel. That you have already been made sinless. That's what the gospel message is. The question becomes, do we believe it? This is what I said at the beginning. This is the obstacle, this is the greatest obstacle for all of us. I don't think we really believe we have been set free from sin. Because we still sin and the enemy is really good at what he does and so with all that baggage that we carry of past sins and and present struggles and everything else he he starts whispering these lies and our flesh is, is is more than happy to partner with him and all of a sudden we start doubting okay but but am i really free and it is impossible to live fully alive in christ and be chained It is impossible to still be chained in your sin, to to, to feel like you are bound by your sin, and simultaneously be living Christ's life. And so we have to come to this place of going, I, I I just have to, whether I feel like it or not, whether I'm even acting like it in the moment or not, I have come to believe that the cross is true, and it's applied to me, and that is literally all that matters. And I can live the rest of my life knowing that truth. And that's where Paul takes us next. So, go to our, so we'll go back to Romans 6, and we're going to go to our last point. So if you believe, if you really believe and believe and believe that you, have been, that you are dead, then your new self will live alive. Like, just, it will. But that's our struggle. Easier said than done. I get it. So look at verse 8. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. Do you see it? If we have died, if we, if we really know that we've died with Christ, we will live with him. And then he says in verse 9, We know that Christ being raised from the dead will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. Guys, what did the resurrection season teach us? I mean, what, what did we celebrate at the resurrection? Isn't it amazing how fast we just get past it? Oh, that was a couple Sundays ago. Yeah, guys, every Sunday is Resurrection Sunday. Like every Sunday, we should be thinking to ourselves if we know that Christ has been raised from the dead. That, remember what we talked about? The fact that he was raised from the dead is literally living proof that the price was paid. And because he rose, and we have come to believe that, we will rise again too. Paul's saying, guys, just live like that. He's saying, live like, like like Jesus tells us in Revelation chapter 1. He says, fear not, for I am the first and the last. I died, and yet I live. And I live forevermore. And oh, by the way, just in case you were wondering, this is Jesus. He's like, I'm the one that holds the keys of death and Hades. Nobody's going there, right? Like, like, like just accidentally. Nobody's living in there. Nobody's, like, I control whether you're alive or dead. And if you're mine, you're alive, just live like it. Just live like it. Look at verse 10. For the death he, the death Jesus died, he died to sin once for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. Guys, understand this. understand what what Paul's telling the, He died to sin, he lives life to give it to us. Guys, understand Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection punched the enemy in the face. I loved i, 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 I don 't even know who it was who prayed it, but like we don 't need to pray. I, think it was, I think it was um Sean. We, don't, we, we need to stop even praying these defeated prayers, right? Jesus has already crushed the head of Satan. He's already fulfilled the promise that, that God made in the garden back in Genesis 3. Now, is Satan prowling around like a roaring lion? Yeah, is he really angry that he knows his time is short? Sure, but he is all, an already defeated foe. He just is. Because the cross worked. The, res- the resurrection, this is what Paul's telling us in, in verse 10. He's saying, because he died and he lives, he lives to God, that proves the cross worked. In 1 Corinthians 15, which is a whole section about what our resurrected lives are going to be like, he says, Paul's in the middle of this section on the resurrected life, he's like, Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where's your sting? He's like, death has been swallowed up by the gospel. There's, that's what made Paul so hard to deal with by the Romans and the Jews. Because there was nothing they could do to him. Lock me up, I'm just going to convert the jailer. That's all right. I don't care. I'll just tell people. I'll sing to people. I'll, yeah, release me. Oh, okay, fine. I'm just going to go travel the world and share the gospel. Kill me. Great. Me lives as Christ as dies as gain. Like there was literally why? Because he knew none of this really was what it was all about. And so he just went okay. I I I'm going to just live this life, considering all of this garbage, so that I may lay hold of what Christ of why Christ lay hold of me, and that was to live for him. That was to give my life away for him, for his kingdom, for his mission. So that brings us to our last verse. And we conclude with this. He's like, if you believe that you're dead, if you believe that, that you have really died to sin because Christ died on the cross for you, and you believe he is living his life in the presence of God, so the resurrection worked, then he says this, so you must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Guys, none of this really works. Meaning nothing that Paul's telling us right now works unless you believe it. That's the thing. Do you know what the, the the question we're asking today is, like, what does it look like to live united with Christ? As the music team comes up and we get ready to go into our time of response, guys, do you know what the hardest part about that is? The hardest part about living like you, like, like you're united to Christ? It's not overcoming your flesh. It's not being more moral. It's not, because you know what it is? It's just believing it. It really is. It's just believing that your identity has changed. Guys, identity politics is a thing, and I'm not talking about what's going on in our country or in the world right now. Identity politics is what the enemy is trying to tell you, this is how you're defined. And what Jesus is saying is, no, I have completely transformed your identity. You just have to live like you believe it. Stop living defeated. You have to stop living in this, in, in this you know, that I'm, that I'm weak here or that I struggle there. Guys, all those things may be true. And in the reality of the light of the gospel of Jesus Christ, it doesn't matter. That's what we have to believe. We have to believe that he has overcome. Maybe you're sitting here today and you're like, hey, you know what, Doug, I, I don't even know what you're talking about. Like, I don't need God. Or maybe you're like, no, I, I, Doug, I, I knew that I needed God to get saved. I understood that. But I don't re- now I don't really need his help in a day-to-day like, life. Because right? that is an exhausting way to live. I tried. I tried both of those for a while. Right? It's exhausting. But maybe this is you. So as, we're, as the trays are coming around, I would ask you to just think about this. If... Maybe this is the voice you hear. Not, not I don't need God, or I, is, yeah, but Doug, you don't know me. You don't know how I've lived. You don't know what I've done. You don't know the sins I've committed. You don't know the things I'm doing now. You don't know the struggles. It's like If you, if you could really be in my head, you wouldn't say, I can just live alive. Here's the thing. Christ knows all of it. Guys, guys understand this. I'm going to keep saying this until I think we're a church that really believes it. You are fully, fully, fully known by Christ and deeply loved. You are fully known. He, guys, Jesus knows things about you you don't know. He knows the ugliest parts of your heart, and He makes them beautiful. Guys, Jesus knows the darkest part of your soul. He does. And He will pierce it with His gospel light. We just have to live like it. Let's pray.